people care about their car buying journey, provide your customers with an unparalleled chat and digital retailing experience with Goobagoo. Whether your customers are online or in-store, Goobagoo is there. See the magic at Goobagoo.com. That's G-U-B-A-G-O-O.com. Welcome to Daily Drive for Tuesday, January 17th, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, used car volume hits a low point. White hat hackers gain access to data from seven automakers. And Ford scales down its EV partnership with VW. Plus, a look at all the confusion and unanswered questions surrounding new EV tax credit rules in the U.S. You know, as one dealer told me, they're totally confused. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Used vehicle sales in 2022 tumbled to their lowest numbers in nearly a decade. And it might get even worse this year if we hit a recession. The 2022 volume drop was a turnabout from a record 2021. Despite a slight recovery in wholesale prices in December, Cox Automotive forecasters say wholesale prices are likely to continue to decline in 2023. The number of used cars and trucks sold in the U.S. decreased nearly 11% to an estimated 36 million in 2022. That's the lowest that figure has gone since 2013. Used vehicle sales also fell on the retail side. They dropped nearly 10% to an estimated 19 million vehicles last year. Cox says that's the lowest retail performance since 2016. Exact figures for 2022 will be finalized in February after registration data for the year is fully in. New vehicle inventories are starting to build again and relatively quickly. And that's thanks to a combination of low incentives and higher interest rates that have kept millions of potential buyers on the sidelines. U.S. vehicle inventory rose sharply in December, topping 1.8 million for the first time since May 2021 according to data compiled by Cox Automotive and the Automotive News Research and Data Center. Inventory rose nearly two-thirds from where it stood a year earlier. While assembly plants still face supply chain challenges, there are signs of recovery. For instance, North American production rose 12% in 2022 to almost 15 million vehicles. A group of white hat hackers cracked customer and back-end operations of a variety of automakers, They include BMW, Ferrari, Ford, Jaguar Land Rover, Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, and Rolls-Royce. White hat hackers or ethical hackers use their skills to identify vulnerabilities before others use them to harm an organization and its customers. The findings are a follow-up to the group's discovery late last year of flaws in SiriusXM's telematics service that created breaches in Honda, Hyundai, Nissan, and Toyota models. The latest round of vulnerabilities gave the hackers access to detailed customer information and internal administrative functions. Omaha-based security engineer Sam Curry says the breach was not disclosed until earlier this month because of a self-imposed 90-day moratorium. Ford, Mercedes, Reviver, and Spirion told Automotive News they have closed the breaches. BMW, Ferrari, and Jaguar Land Rover did not respond to Automotive News questions about the security breach. Ford plans to reduce its dependence on Volkswagen's EV technology as the U.S. automaker shifts its European lineup to electric only. After launching two new EVs based on VW Group's MEB architecture, 
Ford will use its own technology for future electric cars. Ford's e-car development manager in Europe, Martin Sanders, says VW's MEB platform was a transitional technology for Ford and using it saved the company at least two years of development time. Sanders spoke with our German sibling publication, Automobile Voca. And Carl Hahn, who led Volkswagen Group's international expansion in the 1980s, has died. A spokesperson from his charitable foundation says the former CEO died in his sleep at his home in Wolfsburg on Saturday. He was 96. He joined VW in 1954 and became its chief in 1982. During his decade-long tenure, VW built factories in China, acquired Seat in Spain, and Škoda in the Czech Republic, and it expanded into former communist East Germany. Han also started Audi's transition to the luxury car segment. A ceremony is planned for January 24th. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, used vehicle sales, it has been rough. But my question for you is this, where's the bottom? Well, hopefully we'll see that next year. You know, used vehicle market's been hit a couple of times. First, we had record high prices. Then we started seeing interest rates going up, which makes those used vehicles less affordable. It's really discouraging for some, you know, used only vehicle buyers. We'll see when uh, interest rates crest and start maybe coming back down, give the market a little sense of normality and stability. Of course, we're going to remain in pretty short supply on the really coveted, you know, one to three-year-old models for a while because production has been depressed for the last three years. Uh, But hopefully things will start to normal out. Gotcha. Coming up, we'll take a deeper look at all of the confusion surrounding new EV tax credit eligibility rules. That's next on Daily Drive. People care about their car buying experience, and so do we. Provide your customers with an unparalleled chat and digital retailing experience with Goobagoo. Goobagoo is the leader in conversational commerce for the automotive industry. Our fully managed live messaging services instantly connect consumers to dealers anytime and anywhere through live chat, text, video, and more. Integrated with our fully managed chat, Goobagoo's virtual retailing platform enables consumers to buy cars online directly from the dealership's website through multiple channels. We are constantly improving the retailing experience and currently have over 100 integrations with CRMs, DMSs, and third-party applications. Goobagoo transforms the traditional car buying process into a modern, transparent, and seamless experience. Available 24-7, 365, our highly trained chat specialists are there to help. See it for yourself at goobagoo.com. That's G-U-B-A-G-O-O dot com. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Automakers and retailers hoped they'd have a better sense by now of how new electric vehicle tax credit eligibility rules would affect them and their customers. But the U.S. Treasury Department's attempt last month to clear up confusion has stirred up more questions than answers about the maze of rules and timelines. With new restrictions on sticker price and buyer income taking effect this month, 
Several dealers told Automotive News reporter Audrey LaForest that more guidance is still needed from the federal government and automakers to accurately and confidently assess vehicle and consumer eligibility. Audrey wrote about it in the latest print edition of Automotive News, and she talked with me about it from Washington, D.C. Audrey LaForest, welcome back to Daily Drive. Thanks so much for having me, Jamie. You have a big story out this week. You know, we've spent so much time looking at and talking about these new EV tax credits, how they work. There have been delays. There's been, ultimately, it's just a whole bunch of confusion. Nobody can tell what to do. Uh, You documented that really well in your story. What's the big hangup for dealers and everyone else? Yeah. I mean, well, you know, as one dealer told me, they're totally confused. You know, Treasury back in December had missed its year-end deadline to issue proposed guidance on the battery component and critical mineral requirements. But instead, towards the end of the month, December 29th, I believe, Treasury issued some preliminary information because, you know, the new tax credit for vehicles, it's available now, you know, so there's no delay on that. So Treasury provided like a 10-page FAQ and a new list of potentially eligible vehicles for consumers and a notice on what sort of information or guidance is anticipated in its proposed guidance on the EV battery sourcing stuff, as well as a proposed rulemaking that it also plans to issue in March that just further defines and clarifies things like MSRP, what they mean by North America, uh, final assembly, and of course, vehicle classification. So, you know, I think one of the things that's really causing a lot of confusion is that dealers, consumers, automakers are kind of given an incomplete rule book, so to speak, of how this tax credit is working, how they determine eligibility. We kind of have like the framework, so to speak, but we're not quite sure, or dealers aren't quite sure yet how it's all implemented, how it works out. And, you know, one of the biggest things that I kept hearing over and over was that they're just really concerned about getting it wrong with their customer. You know, they don't want to necessarily tell them that, hey, you know, yeah, you're eligible for this credit, or we think you're going to get X amount. And then that's not the case. Well, yeah, I mean, part of the whole, the initial aim was to have this be available at the point of sale so that dealers could offer it, you know, let consumers uh, roll it into their down payment, lower their monthly payment, which is really how most consumers choose their vehicle or the vehicle level they can afford. So we still don't have that, which is, I guess, by design. Yeah, it's like, how do you know if it's going to qualify? I think it's, it's a confusing situation for consumers, because there are things that seem clear, like, well, is it a car or is it something bigger than a car? Is it a truck? But the dividing lines, you know, that split even right through a model or even the same size model, if it's equipped differently, um, can count as one versus another, you know, a lot of confusion. And I'm sure, you know, dealers don't want someone to come back later and say, you told me I was going to get $7,500 and uh, IRS isn't giving it to me. So I want you to give it to me. Well, and one of the interesting things, too, is that, you know, some dealers told me that their customers don't even know that the new credit is available yet. 
So then when they get to the dealership, you know, this customer, you know, if they're interested in an EV, they're going to have a lot of questions if they haven't, you know, gone to all of these federal government websites from Treasury or the IRS, which, you know, I don't know if how many consumers right now are inclined to do so, you know, unless, you know, they're just really involved in this topic. So, you know, they get to the dealership and the de- they're leaning on the dealer or their salespeople to answer their questions. And, you know, salespeople in some cases maybe have not even been trained yet, you know, by their automakers. They haven't received, you know, maybe all of the information that they need to confidently talk to a consumer about eligibility or what factors into that eligibility. And then another big outlier, which just kind of adds to the confusion, how all of this works is that Treasury's interpretation of placed in service is not necessarily when a vehicle is ordered or purchased, but it's when the vehicle is delivered to the consumer, the customer, the taxpayer. So, you know, a vehicle that you order today, it only has to meet, you know, the MSRP, North American Final Assembly requirements, and the taxpayer buyer income limits. If that vehicle is delivered after Treasury issues its proposed guidance on the critical mineral and battery component requirements, likely in March, then those limits, those requirements apply. So a vehicle might be eligible today, but then post-March or after Treasury issues that proposed guidance, then it, it has to meet those requirements and it might not be eligible anymore. So I we mean, still have a big imagine. backlog. We still have a big backlog on yeah. a lot of EVs. A lot of the popular EVs uh, take weeks or months to to get your hands on. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that could be a real issue for some consumers. Yeah, and you know, it places a lot of responsibility, perhaps, on the dealer to properly explain all of that. I mean, I've been covering this topic for months now, if not a little bit longer than that. I'm. I'm trying to remember what year we're even <laughs> in. Um, I understand some of these intricacies pretty well, but I don't know that certain salespeople or a customer coming in, you know, who's interested in EV might understand all of it. Or they, you know, they might be frustrated by it, you know, but then the dealer, the salespeople are having to navigate that tension in the relationship. Do we get a sense that maybe some consumers are putting off buying an EV? It's so discouraging that they're just like, forget it, I'll just stick with a hybrid or something. I have had a few people tell me that um, during my reporting on this story specifically that, you know, just given the complexities, given Treasury's delay on um, the additional guidance and the rulemaking that, you know, they might just wait, you know, if they're not in need of a vehicle now, then yeah, they might just wait. But still, like you said, I mean, vehicle inventory is still an issue. And that time between ordering and delivery is still somewhat delayed. So all of that kind of factors into their their purchasing decisions. I can make the argument that to some extent, this confusion was built in and almost intended by Joe Manchin, the real architect of this system. You know, he really wanted to encourage domestic investment and felt like if there's over demand, under supply of EVs in the short term anyway, you know, it's not that we need to encourage people to go out and order EVs as much as we need to get a whole system 
in place and in line, but it is really discouraging. We hear this a lot from people throughout the industry. They feel like this is going in the wrong direction and and making it harder for people to buy EVs at a time when the government's sort of stated policy is to encourage a market the market to get to 40 or 50% by the end of the decade. Yeah, you know, I mean, thinking of Senator Joe Manchin, I mean, I just look back to his remarks, I believe in April 2021, just questioning the need for an EV tax credit, given, you know, the strong consumer demand. And, you know, he had, of course, pointed to, you know, our reliance on China for a lot of the the materials, the processing of the battery materials and whatnot. You know, so I think it's definitely a valid question to wonder, you know, okay, was that the intention to make this tax credit, you know, just very hard to access? No, it's it's just curious because yeah, he he made those comments and and we set up a system with so many layers of rules, including the car truck split that I don't really understand the justification for that. Yeah, why it's if the intent is to discourage people from buying sedans, um, yeah. or the you know smaller versions of some of these EVs. It seemed maybe it's just a relic of the way Cafe was structured, and automakers just saw it as extra money to subsidize you know, SUV sales, um, but they really added another layer of complexity and confusion to what is an already overly complex system. Yeah. And I think for, you know, for any readers that that haven't been following it, how Treasury and the IRS are classifying the new EVs, at least has definitely raised some concerns with automakers. I know General Motors spoke out recently about how they were classifying the Cadillac Lyric. So, According to Treasury slash the IRS, they were classifying the Lyric as other, which is the category that's uh, laid out in the the bill's text. But, you know, so that could mean like passenger car, you know, that's usually how we're familiar with it. But, you know, GM is saying and even like we classify automotive news classifies the Lyric as a midsize crossover you know, GM wants it obviously classified as an SUV, according to the, you know, it's either an SUV, pickup truck or van, because, you know, if it's classified as an other, then the MSRP limit is 55,000. But the Lyric, I think the base price starts several thousand dollars over that. So, you know, then it's ineligible. So I think, you know, all of the things that we're talking about today, you know, maybe come March, you know, with, Treasury issuing, you know, the proposed rulemaking on some of these topics and its proposed guidance on the EV uh, battery content sourcing and whatnot. Maybe that clarifies things further. Maybe that helps, you know, just better define these rules and how they're applied. And potentially, you know, maybe it changes how they're classifying vehicles. But, you know, between now and then, I mean, it's a big question mark, you know, especially if you're looking to access this credit, you know, whether you're an automaker or consumer, you know, seeking to lower the cost of the vehicle. So, well, we'll be watching for that development in March and uh, watching for your coverage of it. So you can uh, tell us what it actually all means. Thanks, Audrey. (laughs) Looking forward to it. Thank you so much. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer, as well as our own CJ Moore, Larry Valquette, and Karin Dingra for their help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on EV tax credit eligibility, retail, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for my conversation with Tim Reeser, CEO of Lightning E-Motors. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.